following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made, sorry, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came about as, as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, for is at the Father's side he has made him known. It's great to see y'all. Um, looking forward to diving into this uh, second second uh, message, the second part of a long, long series through the gospel in the book of John, all right? Um, so we talked last week about the Logos, all right? And if you, didn't, if you weren't, weren't here last week, we got a great Bible app that you can go and you can download. Um, you can go search City Light Church Vicksburg or City Light Vicksburg on Apple, City Light Vicksburg on Android. You can download it. The sermon's there. You can listen to it, catch up with us, all right? But we talked about the Logos last week, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we talked about what does that actually mean, all right? What does that actually mean? Again, Go find out, all right? We can't, we can't, unpack, it too, we can't unpack it too much today. But go, go find out. Listen to the message, all right? But, but, the, but the long and short of it was that we talked about how philosophers, Greek philosophers, um, in that day in which John, the Apostle John wrote, they spoke of the logos. They spoke of the word in the sense of this impersonal force, okay, that, that, that governed all of the world, the reason and the logic. Almost, if you think about Star Wars, if you will, the force, okay? And so, and so the force is not a person, it's just kind of out there, but it governs all of the universe. And philosophers kind of thought of the logos, the reason, the logic, in a similar sense, this impersonal force that governed all 
of, 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 of life. And, and what John does is he completely tears down that understanding and he says, okay, it's not just the logos that, that, or this impersonal force that's governing all of life, but it's a person, all right? It's not just some ethereal, distant, out there, you know, kind of let's feel our way around, but it's an actual person that is governing life. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has set the planets on his, uh, all the planets on their orbits. Jesus Christ has hung the stars in the sky. Jesus Christ is, has breathed life into each and every single being that, ha, that has ever walked the face of this earth. And so when you think about what's holding this thing together, it's Jesus. Not some impersonal force, but a person that literally wrapped himself in our flesh and walked with us and lived with us and, 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 and suffered with us and weeped with us. And this, is, and this is where we left off last week, talking about the idea of the Logos. Well, today we want to talk about the light, Christ the light, because, because John uses a lot of different elements to tie back to Jesus. One is the word, and the other, other idea, the other element is the idea of the light. What does it mean? What's involved in it? What's tied into it? And so that's what we want to look at today, the light, all right? So there's four things I want to talk about in the light. The first thing is the witness to the light. There was a witness to the light, and, we, and we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about that witness, all right? The second thing I want to talk about is the deniers of the light. And why they deny the light? Because they, they, they obviously do, but, but we want to talk a little bit about why, because maybe that helps us understand why people deny Jesus even, even right now. All right, the third thing is, the embracers of the light. So there are people that deny Jesus, all right, and deny his light, but there are people that very much embrace and accept and open up and receive his light, and we want to talk about those people. And then lastly, we want to finish up by talking about the revelation of the light and how the light is tied in, in very significant ways to the Old Testament, all right? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning uh, before we leave. So let's talk a little bit about the witness. Verse 6, if you would read that with me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So if you aren't familiar with, with, with this, this John, John the Baptist is, is what he was called in scriptures because he was baptizing believers and, and baptizing those that were awaiting the Messiah, awaiting the, the coming or the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures in Matthew calls him John the Baptist. Now, John was the human and, uh, the human and biological cousin of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was the human biological older cousin of Jesus by about six months, roughly. But spiritually... John was under no delusions about who Jesus was to him. Sure, he was the older cousin of Jesus physically, but spiritually, even from birth, John bore witness to Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a text in the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 39, and it says this, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby... Leaped in, her, leaped in her womb. The baby. You say, who's, who's the baby? John the Baptist. 
So when John the Baptist hears the voice of Mary, mother of Jesus, he jumps in the womb. The Bible says that Elizabeth, as she was hearing that voice, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So even in the womb of his mother, John was testifying and witnessing about the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But, but, but he says it in so many words in the actual scripture that we just read. For example, when you look at verse 15 of chapter 1, it says this. John bore witness about him. About who? About the word, the logos, the light, the savior, the Christ. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now remember, John's the older cousin, right? And nevertheless, he says, hey, no, 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 no. We're not talking about birth dates in terms of when we came out of wombs. We're talking about dates that are a little bit deeper and a little bit more beyond that. And so John says that Jesus was before me, long before me. In eternity past. John was wholly committed to being his follower, committed to serving him as a witness, one of his greatest witnesses. As a matter of fact, even Jesus himself says, hey, there has been no one, search, search high and low for a man that's been born of woman, and you will find no greater man than John. And John goes about sharing the testimony of Jesus Christ for one reason specifically, and the reason is found in verse 7 of chapter 1. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. John's bearing witness to the light was done in order to draw people to faith in Christ, in order that they might believe. Listen, listen, the very point of witness is faith. The very point of witness is faith. Witness is not about comfort. Witness is not about convenience. It's, and and why, why, why does that matter? We, we don't give witness to the person and work of Christ because it makes us feel good, even though witnessing about him will indeed make you feel good and will bring you joy. But that's not why you witness. You don't witness to make yourself feel good. We don't witness for Christ because it's easy. We don't witness for Christ because it's convenient. We don't witness for Christ because we will be brought some measure of ease if we do. We don't witness for Christ. In other words, we don't witness about Christ for trinkets and treats. See, oftentimes we look for moments of ease when we are making the decision on whether or not we will witness about Christ. But witnessing isn't really about ease, is it? In fact, for some of us witnessing, we will never get it any easier than what we are in right now, right? So, so we're looking for the perfect moment, the perfect opportunity to make Christ known with our friends and our family and our coworkers and, and, to, and to shine Christ's light in very, in very whimsical ways across our neighborhood or across, across our schools or what have you. And we're looking for those perfect moments, those moments that are easier, but for some of us, it won't ever get any easier than what it is right now. Witnessing isn't about ease. The life of John the Baptist was anything but easy. 
anything but comfortable, anything but convenient. The Apostle Matthew tells us in his testimony about Jesus that, that Jesus' cousin, this, this front runner, basically preached from a poor man's church, the wilderness, wearing poor man's clothes, animal skin, eating poor man's food, wild locusts and honey, or honey and wild, or locusts and wild honey, excuse me. So, so, so he didn't have, matter of fact, Jesus said, when, when you went out to listen to John, what were you looking for? Were you looking for a guy with slick clothing? You didn't find him, did you? You found a man wearing animal skin, eating locusts and honey. Locusts, by the way, not a bad, not a bad diet, okay? They actually grind that up in the powder over in the ancient times, grind that up in the powder. They made use of it, okay? So, so it's not like John's just completely out there and just like eating cockroaches, okay? They, they actually ate locusts, but, but, but locusts wasn't necessarily a delicacy or, or a rich man's dish, okay? So here he is out here really eating a poor man's meal, wearing poor man's clothes in a poor man's church in the wilderness. Witnessing. Wasn't looking for an easy way out. Wasn't saying, well, well, well Jesus, I'll, I'll do this better if I could get it some air condition. If I can get a good meal, give me a good meal and I'll do this much better. Give me some of those sweet KD Nikes, man. And if you give me a pair of KDs, then I, I, can, I could definitely do this for you. No, he was witnessing even in the midst of great unease. Because witnessing isn't about ease. Witnessing, listen, I want you to hear me carefully here. Witnessing isn't necessarily even exclusively a matter of truth. Some things are true. Listen to me. Some things are true, and they aren't worthy laying your life on the line for them. I'm absolutely certain that the Atlanta Falcons blew a three-touchdown lead in this year's Super Bowl and lost to the New England Patriots in the fourth quarter. Nobody can tell me different. Nobody. If somebody says, no, they didn't, the Atlanta Falcons won. And I say, yes, they did. And you say, no, they did. And they say, yes, yes, they did win. And then they pull out a machete and they say, no, they didn't. I'm like, all right, whatever, man, whatever you want to believe. No big deal for me. I'm not dying for it. Are you tracking with that? Some, some truths aren't necessarily really that important for me to go into animal skin mode jump out into the wilderness, start grinding up wild locusts or start grinding up locusts and rubbing it in honey and start eating it and telling people and exclaiming, the Atlanta Falcons lost. They lost, but some, some, some truths aren't necessary for me to do all of that. It's not necessarily a matter of truth exclusively. Truth is important, but it's not the only thing that matters. See, witness, it's not about convenience and it's not exclusively about Truth, witness, is a matter of truth and worth. In Christ, we have truth. He is everything he has said he is, but in Christ, we have the truth, listen, about God. That's what makes witnessing worth it. Because we don't just have any truth, we have the truth about God. It is a matter of truth and a matter of worth, so much so that God the Father sets 
or preordains John to serve as Jesus' forerunner. He preordains it. Ages before he shows up on the scene, Isaiah 40 uh, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi 3 and 1 declares, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Years, centuries before he shows up on the scene, God says, I will send a man to go before me to declare me. You say, why is that? I mean, why is that relevant? Well, whenever something like that is done, whenever there is a forerunner to herald or to proclaim the arrival of another, it's usually in matters of very, very, very important people. The ancients would have understood this to be associated with kings and regal, divine, or not divine, but regal people. So in other words, the worth determines the witness. Does that make sense? And so here John is a witness to the most worthy of them all. Now let's talk about us. How does Jesus' worth and reflecting on his worth to the world and to you personally, how does reflecting on Jesus' worth or how should reflecting on his worth shape your witness? Is it a truth worth telling? That the light of the world has come shining into darkness that the only hope of the world has arrived. Is that truth worth telling? Or should we wait for a convenient moment to share it? Is that a truth worth living out and leaving, as we, as we call it here at City Light, leaving gospel breadcrumbs, doing good works, showing love, showering people with grace, and leaving gospel breadcrumbs for the moments that we can actually, why do you do that? I'm so glad you asked me. Let me unpack why I do this. Let me tell you about the Lord that has saved me, transformed me, and given me a love that causes me to want to love others. Is the one whom we speak of worthy enough for our witness? Verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Let's talk a little bit about the deniers of the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. True light, it represents his, his revelation to the world. We have all been given revelation of God. Romans 1 shares that with you. We have all been given peaks into, into God's light. We have all seen it peeking through the dark clouds of this world. We've all been made aware in some shape, some form, some fashion, no matter how hard you try to push against it, we've all been made aware in some shape, form, or fashion of his presence. When we see the birth of a newborn, we say, man, I don't know how this happened. 
something tells us that there's something bigger than us going on, even when we try to push it back. When we hear of stories of people risking their lives for the sake of others, we say, I don't know how that happens. But we know that it's right and we know that it's good and we testify to it. And something in us says that it's right that people do that. A young man in, in Bogachita or in Brookhaven, actually, I believe, because the gentleman uh, that, 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 we, that we heard about a couple of weeks ago that terrorized a community uh, from Bogachita, Mississippi, to Brookhaven, Mississippi, uh, shooting and killing and murdering eight people, he had a chance to shoot and kill and murder more. But it was a young man in the midst of all of this commotion when he bust into the house of this particular group after having shot, I believe, one or two of them. The young man says, hey, um, he was looking for a car. He's like, hey, somebody better give me a car, such and such, and this and that and all this. The young man said, okay, why, why, why don't we go? I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you. He jumps in the car with him. He says, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even necessarily thinking. I just knew I had to get this man out of the house. And even if it cost me my own life, I had to get him out of the house so he wouldn't shoot the rest of the people that were there. You say, man, what bravery. And you know, and you know, it, 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 it testifies in your soul that it was right for him to do that. That cuts against the grain against survival of the fittest, though. But you know that it was right. When we drive the roads of our country and we, we see the skyscraping mountains, we see the rolling plains, we, we, drive, to the, we drive to the Gulf Coast or we drive to the Orange Beach or, 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 or Destin, Florida, and we look out across, we put our feet on the water and we look out and we don't see an end to it. We say, man, God, there's something at work that exceeds me, that goes beyond me. God's light has shined in all of the world, unpacking his revelation, showing you himself. For some people in small ways, and other, but in, for other people in grand ways, so much so that they lay their lives down and they say, Jesus Christ is Lord. But his light is shining everywhere. But even in spite of, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world was made by him, but the world did not know him. That's at a macro level. That's at a, that's at a, that's at a, 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 a grand level, a sweeping level. The world ignored him. The world denied him. The world rejected him. Chapter, chapter 3 of this same gospel, verse 19 says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So they rejected him because, they, because, because what he presented, what he brought, was a denial of evil. And what they wanted was a continued embrace of it. And so they rejected Jesus. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And why do they love the darkness? Why does the world love the darkness? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. In their case, if the gospel is veiled, if the gospel is covered, the gospel that Paul preached and Peter preached and the apostles preached, the gospel that we preach today, if the gospel is covered, it is covered from those whose minds and whose eyes, spiritual eyes, have been blinded by Satan. Does it make sense? So here's what Satan does. He, he tells you that the fruit is sweet and good for eating, even though the fruit brings death. Does it make sense? He calls evil good, and he calls good evil. He blinds you to it. He shows you the temporary, the temporary and momentary pleasures of eating from that tree and blinds you to the permanent and eternal suffering that comes from that same tree. That's what Satan does. That's what Satan is doing. And so those that deny the light, deny the light, and they run to the darkness because in the darkness, believe it or not, they see light. Does that make sense? At least they think they do. How many times do you run to things that, have you, that you know have no, you, you know you have no business running to? And yet you go. And yet you go. And once you go, you're even saying to yourself as you're in it, man, what am I doing here? What is this? What's happening here? Why am I doing this? Why did I say that? I know that's not right to say. Why did I do that to that guy? I know that's not right to do. Because Satan has a very, very, very keen knack of turning the things that are dark and making them look bright to our eyes. So much so that the entire world is under its guise or, or, or is his, under its spell, his spell, so to speak, blinded as they walk carelessly through this world, missing out on the light of Jesus Christ that is shining down on each and every single one of us. So, so that's the macro level, but even at the micro level, as you delve down, he says, not only did the world reject because they did not know me even though I made them, but my own people. So Jesus comes, in the, comes to the world in Jewish flesh, and he, he resides and, and dwells amongst Jewish people. And Jewish people even rejected him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Many reasons for why. One is familiarity. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, it says, He went away from there, came to his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these teachings or get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? and brother of James, and, 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 and Joseph, and, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense of him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and, and in his own household. So the more familiar they are with him, the less credit they, they less credit, or the less they can see who he is. Does that make sense? It doesn't really, so I understand if you say no. 
right? Think about it. The, the, think about it. The more you're around a person, the less you understand, the less you know of that person, the less you see of that person, the less you realize whose presence you're in. Doesn't make sense, but it's called it's called the law of commonality. <laughs> I just made that up, by the way. But what I mean by that is that the more you're around, for example, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, and you see his mother, and you see his father, and you see his brothers and his sisters. The more you're around that, the more common all of it becomes to you. You can't see beyond just this guy being on this level of having friends and family that you know and hanging out with these people. and You can't see him for who he really is. And so Jesus came to his own, and his own said, nah, this can't be the guy. I saw this guy when he was a kid. You kidding me? This can't be the guy. Does that make sense? But also, not only was it familiarity, but it was the fact that they were looking for something entirely different when Jesus came. When they said that when they were awaiting a Messiah, a Savior, they said, hey, there's coming a man who will save us from Rome, who will deliver us from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And Jesus comes, son of a carpenter. He says, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wait a second, so a homeless guy is going to lead us out of here? Nah, this can't be the guy. Wait a second, so a carpenter? A poor carpenter on top of that? Can't be the guy. So they were looking for something entirely different, and because they were looking for something entirely different, they missed the Savior. That's important for us. Are you tracking with that? Don't miss the Savior, right? Don't miss the Savior looking for the Savior that the world says he ought to be. Don't miss the Savior looking for the one that they say, well, if, if he's Jesus, then, or if he's the Savior of the world, then doesn't that mean that you should have big houses and big cars? That you should have all the money in the world? I mean, he's the savior of the world, right? So isn't he bringing all the money? He's the savior of the world, right? So should, there, should you experience any suffering at all if he's the savior of the world? Of course there's no suffering for you, right? If he's the savior of the world, should you experience any struggle in your life at all? Of course he's the savior. Don't miss the savior of the world. Looking for the looking for the one that the world says he ought to be. Does that make sense? Jesus says that a student is not above the teacher. And because the, because the teacher suffered, he said we should expect the same. He said you should expect hardship in this world, but take heart, I have overcome it. He, he, he doesn't say that there will be none. He says I've overcome it. In other words, it's been defeated. It's coming to an end. Does that make sense? Your struggle will end. Your, 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 your striving and straining will someday end. Your sickness has its end. Your poverty someday has its end. I have overcome the world. Your sin has its end. I have overcome the world. Verse 12, chapter 1. 
but to all who did receive him, he believed in his name, he gave, or who, I'm sorry, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we talked about the deniers of the light. Let's talk about the embracers for a minute. Those whom he created refused him. And those, and those who he shared kin, kinship with and lineage with rejected him. But he did have some among him. All those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become sons, daughters, children of God. Now notice, there is a difference between those whom he made and those who are called children of God. That's important. Because typically we say we're all God's children. Does that make sense? Have you heard it before? We've said it, right? We're all God's children. And I can somehow journey with the person that says that and understand when they're talking about the fact that we've been created by God. Yes, that makes sense. We are in the sense of creation, all of God's created children, but we are not all God's children in the sense of having relationship with God. That's a very important distinction to make. He says he, discer he discerns between or he separates a group. He says, hey, that there are people that I made, verse 10, but there are people that I call children of God, verse 12. And the people that I call children of God are those who believe in my name. We, in other words, we all enjoy the common and provisional grace, but we don't all enjoy the special grace of divine adoption and relationship with God. Being called children of God is a divine right. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. It's not something that you just wake up and because you're born, you inherit. He gave the right to be called children of God. It is a divine right. Being called children of God is a sign and demonstration of God's divine love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love that he loved you with, that he loved me with, that we should be called children of God. It's not something he hands out. Just easy. It's something that comes from an abundance of his love towards you. Being called children of God is a right not reserved for those who deny Jesus Christ as Lord. If you look in the latter chapter or, or in the middle chapters of John, John chapter 8, we've talked about this before where there is a discussion between Jesus and a, and, a, and a host of different people, Pharisees, scribes, and whomever. And they're talking about Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus responds, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. And they said, wait a second. We only have one father, and that's God. We were not born of sexual immorality. They're poking fun at Jesus. You and your quote-unquote virgin mother. 
Verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came, to, came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you understand? Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Children of darkness, children of the light, vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy. Children of devil, children of Satan, children of God. Those that deny Jesus don't have the right, haven't been given divine right to be considered his sons and daughters. But before you run off and leave here this morning and start saying na 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 and start poking fun at people and wearing t-shirts to say I'm a, children, I'm a child of God and all that kind of stuff, before you go and do that, understand that being called children of God leaves you no ground for boasting. Verse 12 in verse 13 of chapter 1, it says, it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, your physical birth will not earn you a, a, a place into the kingdom of God as his child, just because you were born. Your Ethnic inheritance will not earn you a place into the kingdom of God as his children. Some people see their skin color as their ticket into heaven. But he says it's not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not, it's not because of who you are. It's not because of your inheritance, your bloodline, that you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, you have people right now, even in our city, debating about whether or not, you know, there's there's black Hebrew Israelites, whether or not there is, you know, whether or not the Jewish people are actually the real people of God, or whether or not there is like another group of people that's a chosen people, and then you have people that say there's a pure Aryan race, and, and so we're the chosen people, and everybody's debating and fighting over who's the chosen people based on their bloodline, and here in the scriptures it says it doesn't even matter what your bloodline is. That has nothing to do with whether or not you will be a child of God. Human effort will not earn you a place into the kingdom of God. You can strive and strength, and you can, you can be the most holy person walking the face of this earth. You can do all the righteous deeds under the sun. You can, you can, you can give all of, your, all of your savings away to the poor. You can give your body, as, as Paul says, to be burned. You can do all of those things, but it won't be that that gets you the title of child of God. It'll be Christ. It'll be Christ. It'll be your embracing of Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. His righteousness becoming your righteousness. His merit being ascribed and laid upon you. You'll stand in front of the Savior and he'll call you son or he'll call you daughter. Not because of how mighty and how great you are, but because of how mighty and how great his son is. Does that make sense? And so there is no room to boast. We've been called children of God, but we've been called children of God because this immeasurable love that was shown to us when Jesus Christ came down from heaven and took on the form of a servant and died in your place. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the Son, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom, of whom I said, He who comes after me 
ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fruitfulness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So let's close by talking a little bit about the revelation of the light. When John speaks in these terms, when John, what John is talking about, even as he says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when he says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John wants you to think about Moses on the mount, Mount Sinai, as he is in a direct encounter with the God of the universe. John wants you to think about when the law was first given to Moses and all that took place there. For example, when you look at Exodus 33, it says that that the Lord said to Moses, verse 17 of Exodus 33, the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Verse 19 said, and I will make all my goodness pass before you. That's what Jesus, oh, that's what God is saying back to Moses. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So Moses says, show me your glory, God. And God says, I can show you, but I can't show, I can't show you all of it. If I show you every bit of me, you'll die. It'll consume you. And then in verse 34, uh, chapter 34, verse 1, it actually happens. God takes this moment and he shows Moses, in part, his glory. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to the Mount Sinai or to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. And as the Lord had commanded him, he took in his hand two tablets of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so Moses saw his glory. But it wasn't all of it. Here, here, John says, yes, Moses saw his glory, but we've seen greater. Why? Because we've looked into the eyes of God. We've looked into the eyes of God and we've seen Jesus Christ. And so we've received, we, we, we have received a picture of God's glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. We received grace, believe it or not, when we received it in the law. There was a form of grace in the law. Grace, that we might be revealed, that, that the law of God, the ways of God, the principles of God, the understand who God is, his character was revealed to us through the law. We understood God a little bit more. Grace to understand how unholy we are before God. 
Because we saw our sin when we looked at the law. So we saw his holiness when we looked at the law. We saw our sin when we looked at the law. And we saw the requirement in order, to, in order for our holiness or our sin and his holiness to be bridged in a relationship to be restored because he brought the sacrifices. He brought the lamb, the bulls, the goats, and we saw that blood had to be spilled. Remember when God passed in the, and, and showed his glory to Moses that he declared himself gracious and merciful. We saw grace in that moment. The law wasn't completely void of grace. We saw grace in that moment. But when Jesus came, we found grace Upon grace, we saw the culmination of grace. We saw the fulfillment of grace. We saw that no longer did I need a bull or a goat to make to present myself to God because the one and only lamb was slain once and for all for me so that I can go before God based on his blood being spilled. We saw grace upon grace when we saw Jesus Christ. We saw glory upon glory when we saw Jesus Christ because no longer did God have to pass by me in such a way and hide me in a cleft. God walked with me when Jesus came down. Does that make sense? God wept for me when Jesus came down. God bled for me when Jesus came down. God sat down and supped or dined and ate with me when Jesus came down. We received glory upon glory when Jesus came down. And so, yes, we saw grace in the law. We saw glory in the presentation of the law. But when Jesus came, we saw the fulfillment of it. The light of the world has come into the world. The question is, will we embrace him or will we deny him? And if we deny him, the second question is, why? Why would you deny the culmination of the glory of the universe in this one person? Why would you deny the culmination and the fulfillment of all of the grace that one needs in this one person? Why would you deny the light? Here's my prayer. My prayer is that each and every single one of us in this room, for those of us that don't know Jesus, that, that, that you would see him for who he really is that you would see him as the light of this world and that you would embrace him wholeheartedly and run, run with him and for him. And for those of you who do know Jesus Christ, that as you continue to, as you continue to walk this walk and the walk gets high and the walk gets low and you want to kind of quit on it, you would look to the light of Christ and that you would see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory, that you would see all of the grace that he has shown us and poured out on us and that that would fuel you by his spirit to continue to run on for him in order that you too might be witnesses to the light. Amen? Amen, would you pray with me? God, we love you, we thank you. We give you all praise and glory and honor. Would you continue, Lord God, to show us your glory? to show us your grace. Would you continue, Lord God, to shine your light on us? 
that we might continue, Lord God, to live for you or for those who don't know you to turn to you, Lord, and to embrace you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has yet to know you, that we would come to know you, Lord God, in the, in the fullness of your grace and the fullness of your glory. And we would lay down our lives and pick up yours, Lord. That we would no longer be identified by what the world wants to identify us as, but we would be identified in Christ. We would find our identity there. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.